everybody, this is Heidi. This episode is a little different, so I wanted to preface the conversation that Molly and I have so that you have some context for what we're talking about. Today, we're going to be talking about this essay called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. It was posted on BuzzFeed in early January. Molly and I, Molly, my guest, and I talk about it quite a bit, so I'm not going to go fully into what this whole article is about. But what is important to know is that it is about the subject of burnout. Molly and I wanted to talk about burnout busters. In fact, I'm going to use hashtag burnout busters to share information on Twitter and Instagram, and you are welcome to use that as well and share burnout busters. So, Burnout, I mean, come on, let's get real about it. It's not just for millennials, it's for all of us. I get burnt out all the time. And I'm actually somebody who went to school. I went to Stanford and went through compassion cultivation training. And in compassion cultivation training, you're learning about mindfulness, you're learning about self-compassion, self-love, self-care, and kindness towards others and yourself. And yet I still get burned out all the time because I'm a multi-creative and multi-creatives spend a lot of time learning new things, sharing new things, taking on new projects, making new friends and all sorts of stuff, right? So I wanted to start today by defining compassion. It's something I talk about a lot on this podcast, but I realized I haven't really defined it here. So let's start today by defining compassion. Compassion is recognizing suffering. And it doesn't matter if that suffering is huge or tiny. No matter what's going on, if you're suffering, which with burnout, we're definitely suffering. We start by recognizing the suffering. We get to empathize with a person who's suffering. So say, hey, I recognize that you are suffering. Can offer that person some relief. I'm sorry that you're suffering. And then you get to do something about it. Maybe if it's a friend, you decide to sit with them and listen to what's going on with them. Just say, hey, I'm sitting here judgment-free and listening to whatever's going on. I'm not going to try to solve all your problems. I'm just going to be a friendly ear. So when it comes to yourself, it's the exact same thing. So self-compassion is recognizing, hey, I'm suffering. I feel like shit. I feel overwhelmed. I'm giving my brain way too many things to do or something crappy happened today and I don't feel good about it. And sitting with yourself and saying, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that today was disappointing or that this moment was disappointing or that that opportunity slipped through your fingers or I'm sorry that you woke up today with an upset stomach. So it's acknowledging your suffering and then telling yourself, hey, I, I wish you weren't suffering and then choosing to move on in one way or another. And choosing to move on, you can take an active stance and do something. Like, maybe I'll take a nap. Maybe I'll go walk amongst the trees. Maybe I'll call a friend and listen to what's going on with them and kind of take a break from my own busy brain and just see what they're all about. I think the essential key thing here is to not beat yourself up. So we're gonna share a whole bunch of different things that we can do. And you might think, oh, you guys, I've heard this stuff before. Sure, it is free and easy, but uh, it already sounds exhausting just even thinking about learning something new. But the real underlying thing that's happening for a lot of us is that something inside still wants to minimize what's going on with us. Something inside might feel like we don't deserve it or 
something inside still wants to punish ourselves for just being human. And because of that something inside, we often don't take these steps. My husband, for example, he's a multi-creative and he works for someone else and he needs to take time off. And why is that important? Well, it's important for his employer because he's going to be a person who comes in with a fresh brain, fresh inspiration, that's well-rested, that isn't in physical pain. And he's somebody that's not going to be resentful of his job because he's been working too many hours. There's a clear benefit for his employer. And for you who are working for yourselves, freelancers, self-employed creatives, people who are running your own creative business, your business benefits from you taking time off for you to go walk around in an art gallery, for you to go on vacation and unplug. You get to think creative thoughts. You get to let your mind wander. You get to see other artwork. So your business benefits from your time off. When you are well-rested, well-fed, when you let your brain take a vacation, it benefits your business. So that's something that I think is really important to remember. And it's a little bit easier sometimes for us to wrap our mind around how we're benefiting our business by activating self-care. So self-compassion and self-care can include, sure, the things that we see on Instagram, like, I put a mask on today, hashtag self-care. I slipped into a tub and took a bubble bath, hashtag (laughs) self-care. Well, what the underlying thing here is, the underlying message of those things is, I told myself today, I love you. I want to be kind to you. I'm going to take a break from beating you up. What might that feel like? Some things you can say when you're feeling agitated and overscheduled to yourself is, how may I be kind to you today? So getting used to being kind to yourself takes some work. It might feel weird to change up this always wanting to learn multi-creative brain that wants to just keep learning, connecting, growing. Maybe you've got new art you want to sell and you want to make sure people know about it. Maybe you're working on a project and you're so in the zone that you can't imagine taking a break from it. But I invite you to challenge yourself to do that. And I don't even like to use the word challenge so much because it sounds like a boot camp, a challenge. What are you going to do? How are you going to do this? I don't want you to do this perfectly. I'd like you to, I challenge you to experiment with chilling the fuck out. And that can mean in this moment, relaxing your jaw. That can mean in this moment, looking at your Google calendar or your paper calendar or whatever calendar you use and seeing if there's something you can take off of it, a non-essential that you can just wipe off. Give yourself a break. Be a friend to yourself. Treat yourself like you'd treat your favorite animal, your favorite friend, your loved ones, your beloveds. Put yourself in the mix. Consider yourself. I'd like this podcast episode to be a source of comfort for you. I recognize that in this moment in time, 2019, politics are whack. And we all know And we're all very aware that we can constantly be connected to everything, but we can also choose to disconnect from all these news sources and everything. The world is not going to end if you log off of Twitter for the next 
three days. And you might be listening going, I don't even really listen, you know, I don't even really use Twitter. Okay, great. But you know what your thing is, right? <laughs> you know what your thing is that you keep checking. Don't beat yourself up for it. It is a habit that most of us get into. So it is about switching up your habits. It is a about looking at the things that you do and saying, I'm going to choose to try out a little something different. And again, I'd love to hear your ideas. I'm going to be sharing them with hashtag burnoutbusters on Instagram and on Twitter. And I'd love to hear and see what you do. The things that lighten your mood, that get you out of your rut, that help your busy brain take a break. I wanted to make a special shout out to one of my longtime clients and very talented designers, Kristen Lopez. She posted on Instagram in regards to this article. Yes, this article, it sheds light on an issue that finds itself quietly infiltrating our psyche. Indoctrinated by a generation preaching, hard work pays off. We have unlearned our instinctual need to preserve our own health and sanity in favor of keeping up with perpetually out-of-reach life goals slash milestones, social standards, and expectations set by an antiquated belief system. We're left running in a hamster wheel heading nowhere, but believing if we run faster, it must lead somewhere. In a world that demands more of the individual on a nearly constant basis, not just self-care, but self preservation is paramount. And I loved that response. So I wanted to share it. And thank you so much, Kristen, for pointing me to this article and inspiring this episode. Welcome back to Vibrant Visionaries and welcome new listeners. My name is Heidi Bennett. I'm a coach for multi-creatives and I've started this podcast to talk with fellow multi-creatives about their projects, process, and lessons learned along the way. There's this article that's been going around, and my friend Molly and I started talking about it, and we realized that this was something that we wanted to record and share some resources and ideas that we thought were a good anecdote or something to add on to this article. So without further ado, let me first let you know that I've brought on my friend Molly Balin. Molly, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. So everybody out there, Molly and I have been friends for quite a few years. We met actually because we went through the same coaching program and we really bonded there. Uh, we were both creative weirdos <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just really, yeah, we just seemed to hit it off. And a few years later, we actually ended up are doing like light coaching to each other and checking in about our creative process and building our coaching businesses and stuff like that. And then eventually we podcasted together and we actually co-hosted Cabin Minute Cast, which was our podcast about the cabin in the woods. And so, yeah, Molly, what is it you'd say you're up to these days? Well, I think the two things that I've been really, or I'm in development right now is I am starting a t-shirt design business, which I would describe as something that has a 
sci-fi Buddhist 80s throwback kind of feel to it with a smidgen of nerdening. So that's been taking up quite a bit of my time. And then the other thing that I'm going to be doing is another podcast because I just, I can't stop. So (laughs) can't stop, won't stop. So that is going to be the second thing uh, that's going to be coming up for me uh, this this, uh, spring. So that's what I'm up to. Sweet. And usually right now is when I'd launch into talking about your creative process and learning a little (laughs) about your everyday life. But the other day we started talking about something that seems to be popping up in everybody's feed, something that a couple of my clients actually said, hey, have you read this? And then my husband said, I hope you'll read this because this really struck a chord with me. What I'm talking about is this essay that was on BuzzFeed. The essay is titled How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. It was written by Anne Helen Peterson. Kind of a long essay. I got to say, I'm more of a splash a few pictures and share a few salient points kind of a reader. Mm -hmm. I I have a little bit of a difficulty with concentration on reading something this long, but because my clients and my husband all said that they thought it was something, you know, to take note of, I read through and I did not read every single (laughs) (laughs) sentence, but I, I read the beginning, the end, and quite a bit in the middle. And so, yeah, let's maybe just start out with what were your thoughts around this essay, Molly? It's it's a real thought piece. It's a good thought piece, if, if I have to be you know, oversimplified about it. So I, I would also second your assessment that it's a long piece to, to wade through, in a sense. It's not going to be something you can sit on the toilet and read. And Exactly. Uh, I guess my first reaction to it was that I hadn't read something that had really clearly brought together several issues that I had been seeing and had been hearing in such a clear and cogent manner. I really resonated with it. I resonated with a lot of the perspective of bringing up the economics that we've really seen in the last, you know, 20 some years. I think it's also worth saying neither Heidi nor I technically fall into the millennial generation. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I think that the brilliance of this article and my assertion about it is that it isn't about the millennial generation. I think that it's actually pointing out something bigger and broader about American culture. That's really the brilliance of it. And so that was my my first reaction. And I'm kind of curious what you felt when you first read it. Yeah, when I first read it, um, and hopefully you guys will, you know, maybe even take a break from listening to the rest of this and kind of give it an overview, because I don't want to spend like the whole time trying to (laughs) go down every single point that she makes. But when I first read it, I thought, wow, this has been really well researched. She's really passionate about this. I am total Generation X. And my husband is total Generation X. He also has ADD. I have some, I would say, sensitivities to concentration sometimes that aren't specifically ADD, but do have struggles. And I think that that is something that a lot of multi-creatives have and that something that I work on with my clients a lot. So I was Mm. really picking up on her running down at the very beginning of this 
that sometimes simple tasks seem very difficult and always end up at the bottom of the to-do list or not done at all. Brian, my husband, he has some issues with this because of the ADD. He's very efficient and an extremely hardworking person, and he's very innovative ideas on how to organize things, but also can you know forget things very easily, but it's part of that diagnosis. I liked how she really put into this essay all the different things that she saw going on. So the reality of economics at this point, I sort of connected my own dots, which was that when I went to that XOXO festival, Mm -hmm. that it was advertised as this festival and conference that was going to be innovative and experimental. There were some really interesting and cool things about the festival, but it was also rather stressful. I felt like there was just a lot of anger and irritation. And there were people on stage who were comedians. Some of them were comedians. Some of them were more on the creative tech side. And I noticed that the comedians, you know, they would be talking freely and being encouraged to be vulnerable, you know, to show up imperfectly and vulnerable. And this is something that we hear constantly, right? Mm -hmm. She even talks about branding and Instagram and how you're supposed to be this and you're supposed to be that and you're are you going to be an influencer are you what is your your persona on social sites and it can feel like a real job you know instead of just sharing photos and having fun and feeling connected you feel like you're being constantly judged and and I kind of felt like this with the comedians that were on stage they were told to be experimental and told to be vulnerable but they were chastised for calling us all guys instead of calling us all folks, which was more inclusive. And so I think it's a real complicated time right now. I was listening to a podcast the other day from some women who I really admire, the vocal fries. At the very beginning of the podcast, they were, you know, being angry and outraged about something that was very, very valid, of course, to be angry and outraged about. And they were saying, you know, this might not be fun for you to listen to, but this is where I what I feel like right now. And there were so many years where nobody was listening to me that this is where I'm at. I've got to express mm-hmm. myself. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. there is a pendulum swing that's happening where where many of us are finding our voices or you know, new versions of our voices for the first time or at a depth that maybe we haven't experienced before. So there's a lot of awkward and valid and wonderful and beautiful and angry ways that we are being. And there are a lot of things that are asked of us. We are supposed to be able to be everything, be strong and also be an advocate and also be innovative and also be a brand, but don't offend people. And But I also feel like we don't have, for most of us, we don't have our town square or our mall or our gathering place. Mm-hmm. For many of us, maybe we don't belong to a church or maybe we go somewhere to meditate in a large room, but we're all quite quiet and precious. And so I've certainly struggled with finding my community after moving to the Bay Area from Sacramento, where you kind of rode your bike to the coffee house, rode your bike to the nightclub, rode your bike home kind of drunk, and then 
met up with some friends at the the tap room on your way home from work on your bicycle. And when I moved here, everything was kind of spread out. So there's a lot of things that are going on in our lives. I think one of the things that Anne Helen Peterson was getting to was that for a millennial, and I agree also for any of us that aren't millennials, is that we're doing a lot of things that are for optimizing or hacking or, you know, being the very best of things. And we're so mm-hmm. accessible through maybe a Slack channel or being constantly having these phones close to us, that everything kind of never really shuts off and that that leads to this burnout. So there's just a few things I thought of while I was reading this. Yeah, no, I think those are great observations. I'm finding we have some really interesting media going on. I mean, this is, you know, the the internet in the way that we're handling social media is, is new. It's so recent. We're still trying to navigate what that means. And I'll also say part of this, I think, talks about convenience. And everyone, I think, to this point, even boomers, have been raised with a level of convenience that's really been unparalleled. Even in the 50s, where you have the rise of a middle class post-World War II, there's a rise of convenience. Here's cheese whiz, here's frozen dinners, here's a microwave. And there's even appliances that we don't even need. You know what I'm saying? Just stuff that, you know, you get at Christmas and you're like, I'll never use this. Or you get for a wedding. You're like, why? And so, I mean, the convenience is a big deal. And I think what the internet has gifted us is convenience. And I think we have all grown accustomed to a certain level of convenience. We're all using cell phones here. Let's all be honest. You know, like as a culture, we're all using cell phones. I mean, Amazon Prime is a hugely convenient tool. And without getting into the politics of Amazon and Amazon Prime, there is a convenience to getting things mailed to you in two days. And there is a expectation now of things getting mailed to you in two days. So I think part of this article, there's a specific line that Anne Helen says, when it came to the mundane, the medium priority, the stuff that wouldn't make my job easier or my work better, I avoided it. Their primary beneficiary is me, but not in a way that would actually drastically improve my life. They are seemingly high effort, low reward tasks, and they paralyze me. So this is in relation to talking about adulting and talking about the the things that one just must do to be an adult. So I think the first thing is, is that there's a lot of convenience that we have. And there's there's some real just basic wisdom in that statement of, man, my time is precious and I'm tired. I've already spent the 20 bucks. I'm not going to go send the thing back to whatever, to Amazon. I'm just, you know, I'm going to eat it. I can't make myself do it because there's other stuff on the plate. So I think the argument she's making is like, I'm too tired to do that. But maybe it really is just a value system of you're accustomed to something being a certain way. And it just seems like too much of a pain in the ass to take care of it. And maybe that's just okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's all right to not have to worry about that thing. Like my question is with this, when we talk about to what degree is this burnout and to what degree is this, I have a value system that I just don't particularly care about doing this thing, but I feel too bad to accept that I don't care. 
I think you're bringing up what you value and also, yeah, what does it matter? (laughs) You know, so I think sometimes (laughs) we don't have laundry here at my house. So I used to take laundry, bags and bags of laundry to the laundromat and spend hours doing laundry. And at a certain point, Brian and I sat down and sort of did the math and realized that it was actually worth it to drop off the laundry and then pick it up having someone else having washed it and dried it and folded it for us to pick it up and then be able to slip it into our armoires. And that might seem like, oh, well, aren't you lucky you have the money to afford to do that. But honestly, when it all comes down to it, choosing to have somebody else do it frees me up to do my job. (laughs) Um, She brings up laziness a few times there. It's not laziness. It's what are you choosing? What do you value? What is important to you? And yeah, there have been things that that have been sent to me where I thought, oh, this doesn't fit me the way I thought it was going to. It's a little tight or a little loose. And rather than trying to package it, mail it back, I'll just gift it to a friend who's a little smaller or a little bigger than me. And it also feels good. You know, it feels nice to be able to say, hey, here they are for you or donate them. And so to get back to mindset, I mean, mindset is thinking about your attitude. And so if we're questioning things and being a little more curious and mindful and thoughtful about them, then yeah, we can choose to either say it's worth it to mail something back or not. And if it's something what I would say is if it's something that is difficult to understand. Like she mentions, I think some insurance paperwork and stuff and how frustrating it is. I totally understand that when I first started working on having my own business and working for myself, there was some paperwork that started coming to me that was tax related. And it really wasn't too complicated. But because it was so new to me, and it was using some language I wasn't familiar with, I started getting a panic attack and stuffed it away in a drawer for a while. And then finally, you know, took it to my mom who does bookkeeping and somebody I feel safe to be vulnerable around. And I said, can you help me figure this out? And she goes, oh, this is easy. And I said, well, it's easy to you. But for me, it causes a panic attack and almost like a blindness. I almost can't look at it because Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. And this fear in me is that for some reason, I'm going to like owe somebody thousands of dollars, even though this job is new, and I'm, you know, not even making a profit yet. I took care of myself by asking for help. I said I wanted to give people some free and inexpensive ideas about how to combat this burnout or this overwhelm. And one of them that's so important, I think, is asking for help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as somebody who struggles with that, I really resonate with anyone who might hear that be like, ooh, not for me. Because it's there's there's some conditioning that some of us have of, I I have to be strong. I have to be the one who, you know, takes care of everything. I have a particular perception of myself as being uh, competent, therefore asking for help countermands that idea even. And Helen has a comment about that towards the end of this article of, of even admitting that she's burnt out. We have this online community now, and there's this training that we're giving ourselves about how to use social media appropriately because there's communities that we're connecting with, but we're not necessarily knowing how to use and leverage the meat space communities that we have. 
something beyond a GoFundMe page, but how do we really interpersonally rely on one another? That's going to make a larger difference. And I think that historically as human beings, we've needed to rely on one another to live well and to live optimally. And it's not going to exclusively happen in a you know, hyper-intellectualized, idealized space. It's going to have to be you know, here interpersonally. And we are going to have to have, we're going to have to be vulnerable to know when we're going to need support and and be able to to be open to ask for that support when we need it. Generally speaking, a lot of us don't live the way that people did in the past where we all kind of lived in the same neighborhood. Maybe there was a pool that everybody gathered around or, you know, your mother lived across the street. So when you finally had children, she was able, you know, you were Mm -hmm. able to have the kids stay with her across the way and it was not a big deal. And it was just sort of, here we are, we're in the in the neighborhood. And for a lot of us, that's just not how it is. Mm-hmm. And we're also, we're so hard on ourselves. And she talks about self-care in a rather dismissive way. Mm-hmm. I understand where she's coming from. In her essay, she says, self-care isn't care at all, but it's a $1 billion industry and it's exhausting. That was the part of the article that kind of stuck out to me as a bit of a cop out. And I get it. You know, when you read this whole article, it really highlights all the different things we're juggling right now. Mm -hmm. Trying a new 30 day protocol to maximize your happiness. That stuff overwhelms me, which is actually why I do a podcast where we just kind of hang out and shoot the shit, Mm. but we weave in the camaraderie, the compassion, the wellness tips, the friendship, and hopefully the laughs so that you feel more connected to your creative circle out here. So don't let the billion dollar wellness industry be an excuse for why you don't experiment with ways that you can give yourself a break give yourself some kindness. We are often overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. we often feel a lot of shame and we're often beating ourselves up. So Mm -hmm. self-care really starts with not just putting a mask on your face, but it starts with just starting to treat yourself kindly and not being mad at yourself because you don't know everything or that you're not optimizing everything. She uses that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It's vital for us to talk about all of this. It's vital to talk with our friends and family and say, like, I am struggling right now, you know, and I'll be vulnerable with everybody here and say, like, yeah, I thought I would own my own home right now. And I don't, you know, I live in the Bay Area and it's very expensive and we've made different choices. And that's why we don't own a home. And I don't, I don't hate my life. I love my life. But I did think by now I would own my own home. (laughs) Because that's just sort of what you think is going to happen, you know, or for a lot of people. But all this to say, I feel like there are things that we can do And some of them are asking for help and some of them are just really checking in with people and saying, this is where I'm feeling. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it doesn't mean you're a negative person that's that's a vampire sucking all the joy out of the room. (laughs) But it's important to do that. And then it's also important to have gratitude and use a gratitude practice, which is another totally free thing you can do. You don't have to download an app. You don't have to, you know, start a new protocol. It can just Mm -hmm. be 
checking in with yourself and saying, I live somewhere where garbage is picked up once a week. I feel pretty lucky about that. Mm -hmm. And that's just, again, changing your mind, your mind frame so that you're not saying, oh, I got woken up this morning by the garbage trucks are so loud out there. But, you know, to me, it's like, dang, I live somewhere where my garbage gets taken away. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Acknowledge what sucks and then move into a place of gratitude and then do some things that are very beneficial but are not optimizing or kickstarting a new routine and you know it's the new year and and it's not about stacking stacking the decks in this way that's overwhelming and it's about doing little teeny tiny things that help you kind of check in with yourself and say what do i need today and and advocating for yourself self-care self-compassion to me is checking in and saying like how can i be kind to myself today and I think that's a lot of what I think the modern Western mindfulness movement is about. It, I think it gets conflated with self-optimization, which I think is a wonderful term that she's put in here. And I think it's about, like you're saying, what is the reality for me right now? How am I feeling right now? Like, where am I right now? What am I doing right now? Because a lot of this other, where should I be right now? gets to be, without being heavy-handed about it, kind of a violent thought. And some of what what's getting discussed here and what I'm seeing here is a whole hell of a lot of guilt about where should I be? What was the, the cultural expectation of who I should be, what I should be, where I should be? I think that's the other part of what we're seeing is a backlash is of people looking at what they've been saddled with, with a, a cultural expectation of how to live in their identities and pushing back and saying, that's not actually how I'm living. And that's not actually who I am. And that's okay. And I think what, what we need to do collectively right now and moving into that self-compassion space you're talking about is to say, you know what, it's okay that... I didn't end up owning a house at whatever age. It just didn't happen. And that's okay. You know, it's okay that you didn't get to have kids or I'm single and I didn't want to be single. These things are okay. That there are these really st structured, rigid ideas. And, and I'm you know, really saying this to myself too, because I'm going to, as a personal anecdote, I went to a good friend's birthday. He's a 40 year old dude. And he's really, and he's comfortable being 40 because there's a lot of blessings that he has and that he has to some degree a vision about the way life would be for him. And he's been able to manifest a lot of those things. I'm sure there's things he hasn't been able to, but he has a lot of those traditional structures that we uh, think of that one, one should quote unquote reach, you know, kid, house, career, that kind of thing at 40. And not all of us have the vision of what it is that we think we wanted to have at a particular age. And as somebody who is going to be turning 40 in two months, I had a hard time at that dinner because I was like, damn, I just like, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I wanted to have this thing and this hasn't manifested. And I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of upset. And I came home thinking to myself, I don't even want to have a birthday to celebrate because like I haven't done the thing, my life doesn't look like what I thought it would at this time. 
And I was like, wow, that's really weird that I'm going to punish myself for life going in a certain way. How fucking weird is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's startling when we realize, and part of checking in with ourselves is realizing, oh my God, I am beating myself up right now. It's so easy to do. Mm -hmm. And we are people who, you know, are mindfulness people. We are people who are compassion people. We are people who, you know, study Buddhism. We are people who you can do all of that stuff and still realize you're beating yourself up or setting yourself up for some new exercise thing that sounds not joyous at all. You know, mm-hmm. and go, wait, why am I doing all this? This doesn't sound fun. This doesn't sound like the way I want to move my body. This sounds like I'm torturing myself mm-hmm. for some ideal or something. So it's just, it's very easy to do. And it's something that we all do all day in little increments. And so, yeah, that, that I was just going to interject with that because it's just very easy to do. It is. And I think we just, we're under a lot, I mean, we're under a lot of pressure. And I think this is what this article is saying is that we're seeing a very sanitized PR version of people online and to some degree in person. No one is going to necessarily tell you that I woke up this morning and I was reviewing all of my life choices and I thought they were shit and I decided not to get on a treadmill and I drug my ass to work and I didn't bring a lunch. Like That's not necessarily the honest conversation that's going to happen when you go out to dinner. Someone's going to go ahead and give you a PR spin about how things are are going amazingly well. And there's a really oppressive idea about what life should be. We have seen some kind of messed up economics in the last, you know, 20 years. And, you know, with 9-11 and the big crash in 2001, which BT Dub coincided with me graduating with a BA and very little job prospects on the other side. And so there was some, I don't know, a little hostility there. And then on the other side of 2008, where uh, I bought a house and then my husband got laid off right after. So that was kind of gnarly because we've faced some of these you know, economic issues. And so the the expectations of everyone should be kicking ass and taking names, not to say that you can't be optimistic or hopeful or whatever, but there's also been some other forces that we're experiencing that are real. It's, it's not bullshit. I think we all know when we're being quote unquote lazy about things. And then there's also just, you've got some really adverse economic issues that have come down that you know, you get laid off. That's got nothing to do with you. That's just conditions, you know, and to not take that personally, it's not your fault. We were saying like gratitude of like, oh my God, the basics of like, Hey, I'm still alive today. <laughs> Let's take it from there. I slept well last night. Like what did go well for you today? There's a lot of gr- goodness and gratitude that we can have and not in a Pollyanna way, but just like, there are good things that happened today. And if you just take a look, then you'll see that there's quite a few things that could have gone down unless something really, really, you know, you had something really horribly tragic go down today. And then that's going to probably be a little bit more of a challenging exercise. But for the most part, day in, day out, there's probably quite a few things that you can point to to say, actually, that went pretty well, you know? Yeah. And that's a good point too, is that having a generally positive attitude or, you know, looking for what things you can be grateful for 
does not negate mm-hmm. or dismiss what is difficult. I think that we have to do both. I start by writing down maybe something that's kind of bumming me out right now and then sort of acknowledge that, say to myself, wow, this is a little disappointing or, oh, this didn't go the way I expected to. Okay, well, that's true in this moment. Okay, now on to the next moment, you know, and if you mm. need more, maybe it maybe it's crying or talking to a friend or maybe mm-hmm. it's, you know, working out or taking a swim or a vigorous walk. But all of these things that you've definitely heard or read or seen as the top 10 ways to turn your life around or whatever. All of these things can be of use, but getting down to it is, like you said, just what do I need in this moment or where am I at in this moment? And a couple of the things that I thought of that, again, are just free things for us to do that aren't going and signing up for a yoga class and getting, (laughs) you know, the mental and spiritual anguish of going, is this yoga class going to work for me or is it going to be weird and uncomfortable and am I going to feel humiliated? (laughs) Like, it's no wonder we don't try new things sometimes because they can feel really uncomfortable. but. To do simple things like earlier last year, I got together with a couple of girlfriends for the weekend. When we went out to dinner, I had marinated red onions on my plate. So they were marinated in just lime juice, so sliced Mm. red onions. One of the most delicious things I've ever had. Hmm. Have I had it before? Yes. But just having it sit on the plate with a little bit of meat, a little bit of veg, a little bit of fat, a little bit of heat. So delicious. But the rest of the year, my house was hardly ever without limes and red onions. Mm. Look through my Instagram here and there, you'll see a tostada with, you know, red onions marinated with lime juice on them. Mm. Sitting with that and tasting it and feeling the sparkliness of it on my tongue was so pleasurable. And so I really invite people to think about the things that are free and are pleasurable. One of the things that Brian does is he'll bring up videos that are really cute or goofy that are usually Hmm. like dogs or cats doing silly things. And we actually did this quite a bit in compassion cultivation training, which is to look at these videos that soften your heart. You know, that's what I do with watching shows, you know, I I do like mm-hmm. dark and creepy things sometimes, but the shows that I watch more consistently are like Parks and Recreation or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I mean, there's a huge list of things that that just make me laugh my ass off, but also have this through line of camaraderie and compassion and community and awkwardness and silliness mm. and friendship. You know, these are things that Most of us are lucky that we have a Netflix subscription or have regular television. We can tune into some of these shows and stuff. And if you don't feel like starting a meditation practice, I think just spending a few minutes in the morning breathing with your eyes closed and observing what's around you, you know, maybe setting an intention for the day. It doesn't have to be, again, this 10-point optimization plan. It can be these simple pleasures. If you don't like talking on the phone, maybe you're texting a friend rather than jumping on Twitter because you might get all wrapped up in whatever's going on. We don't have to be wrapped up in all this stuff during the day. 
Mm-hmm. But if we're starting to feel isolated, then, you know, figure out your way of connecting, whether it be calling somebody or writing them a letter or sending them an email or texting them or sending them a goofy gif. Are there any other things about values or choices that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I think that part of what I was thinking about when I was reacting to this article was that there were particular choices that had been made based upon a value system. And that extends to everything. You know, for example, I value sleeping in on a Sunday because that's part of my self-care routine is the ability to not have to wake up to an alarm clock. That's part of my value system is that I value relaxation. And so part of the assessment, the self-assessment that somebody does in, in looking at what you're taking on in your life gets exponentially more difficult with kids is what do you have for your time and what do you value in the time that you have? Are you doing things that you don't actually want to be doing? There's an individual, it's a letter shop PDX. They do hand lettering, a lot of hand lettering posters and whatnot. And one of the posters they have paraphrased is like, Stop saying yes to shit you don't want to do, essentially. And the other part of this is I, I wonder in the pressure to be the self-optimized individual, to be kicking ass and taking names all the time, to what degree are we saying yes to things that we don't actually want to be doing? Does that actually fit in with your value system and your your personal priorities of how you want to be spending time? Because there are some things that are just adulting that you really do have to, to have to do. If you want to have electricity in your house, you will have to pay for it. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about in this article. We're talking about things that are maybe things that you don't maybe need to do. And I think that that's worth looking at is like, do you, do you really, is that a capital N? Do you really need to do that? Do you really value doing that? Or are you doing things that you do because you actually find value in it, which is kind of how we started the conversation and how she starts a conversation is like, I'm not doing things based upon the fact that I don't find value in them. And then the next thought is like, well, if you don't find value in it, then what's coming up for you? What negative emotion, what negative reaction is coming up for you that you're not okay with letting that particular thing go? So that's a more nuanced conversation, but that's, we have a lot of decisions and a lot of options in our day and how to live. We don't always necessarily look at how we're making those choices. We're not necessarily looking at the why. So. Yeah. And I actually had written in my notes, don't say yes automatically. Sometimes we say yes because we feel obligated. Sometimes we say yes because we're used to. Sometimes we say yes because there's a title of a book by somebody we admire that says, I said yes to everything. And so we think if we're going to be Shonda Rhimes, then we need to say (laughs) yes to everything. Or uh, you get something out of being a martyr, maybe because that's part of our identity. And we're used to hearing people say, oh, I love how you always do dot, dot, dot. You know, maybe it's part of the way you think people will always see you. And if you're not doing it, will you not be valued by others or you'll disappoint others? It does take a little fortitude. It does take some practice. If you're feeling resentful after you do something, then maybe 
It's time to mm. look at that. You know, if somebody's listening to us, they've gone and read the article and they're just feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and like, oh my God, this article spoke to me so much, but I don't know how to say go into my job and tell my supervisor I need some time off, then just attach this article to an email and in the audio write it me and send it to them. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> don't overcomplicate it for yourself print it out and sit around with a couple of friends and talk with them and, and think up ways that you can advocate for each other and, and help each other. Yeah, there's a lot of other things. So I just wanted to read a couple of things I'd written down here, just so I can kind of uh, get my talking points in here, which we've already touched on many of them just throughout the nature of our conversation. Mm -hmm. If a task seems like a drudge, Think about how you can look at it with a sense of gratitude. If it's something that's a real dud, don't fill your day with like a whole checklist of duddy things. Maybe go today, here's the one less exciting, drudgy thing I need to do today. Just do one a day and then celebrate the fuck out of it. Give yourself a gold star watch a goofy video afterwards, like you can attach it to something silly or fun or frivolous and just celebrate, hey, I did this, even if it seems small, like don't compare yourself to others or, oh, I think so-and-so just does this all without any thought. I mean, we all have things that we're not great at, you know, celebrate even the tiny little task what actual self-care looks like to me. She gave some examples of, well, it's not quite this and it's not quite that, but I think it is a lot of those things. Like when you put a mask on your face, say, mm -hmm. that can be a time where you just sit and do not do a goddamn motherfucking thing. Mm -hmm. Feel free to enjoy yourself and not take a selfie and think you need to post it on Instagram to let everybody know how great you are at self-care. <laughs> like just, <laughs> just be, just fucking be. If you need to talk it out, find friends that let you talk it out. And that friend might be your dog. You know, Pokey's definitely heard her fair share of my <laughs> issues. <laughs> but set yourself up for success. Don't try to do a bunch of different changes, you know? Yeah, I think that's it. And, you know, we didn't quite even get to one section that I felt was quite potent. She talks about um, for a lot of women, and this is a generalization, but I've found it to be true with a lot of women that I coach and a lot of my friends, is the mental load of being the default household project manager. Mm -hmm. There's many women I've talked with about this. And for us, then it's doubling down on being an advocate for yourself. And for me, that sometimes just means fighting that urge to plan everything and instead, you know, waiting till the weekend and saying to Brian, like, hey, here's something that we discussed, something we wanted to do around the house. Let's make a plan together. And using his strengths and my strengths to make that happen rather than be irritated with people later when I become like I used to always be the person who was 
getting everything together for all my family gatherings, but it's because I value getting together with the family. So I used to just kind of do it all on my own. And now I'll tend to call one of my relatives and chat with them for a bit about it. Together, we'll sort of delegate the responsibilities of putting it together. And and our family gatherings have gotten better because of that, you know, because one person isn't taking on everything. And that's a thing I think I want to end with, which is how does it feel to do these things? Uh, one of the people that I follow and actually uh, contribute to her Patreon is this musician and podcaster named Chrysanthi Tan. And she wrote, I think around towards the end of 2018, like, what are the benefits of self-care? Like, what do you get out of it? You know, I want to know, mm. how are you guys feeling after you do these things? And I'll tell you that, yeah, one of the things is, I feel less resentful and irritated towards other people, <laughs> because I'm not taking on as many things. And one of them is feeling a sense of calm and relaxation. Um, when I'm not trying to tackle as many things. Another thing is, I feel more connected to myself. Like I hear Heidi speaking inside of my brain, not just the goals, the tasks, the aspirations. I get to hang out with me more often. Mm. What do you think, what would you say are some of the benefits that you feel from doing some of the things you do? And if there's any self-care things maybe you can kind of regularly do, maybe that'd be a good way for us to wrap up. I think the two things that I regularly do well, there's three that come to the, the top of my head. The first thing is meditation. Meditation is a huge mental hygiene for me. And and that's not to pressure someone to say, you must meditate. You must have mindfulness. Because that's a, I know that that's a, a big, buzzy, everyone, quote unquote, should be doing this for stress reduction and you know health and bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. But I've been a meditator since 2002. And... It's, it's helped me out a lot and I can tell a real difference day in, day out when I do not meditate. But for the most part, when I can roll with a daily practice, it definitely creates a soft, buttery exterior to my person. <laughs> so it lubricates my journey through the world. And because I'm a person who lives in, in polar opposite land, I also play a lot of, I play a lot of Destiny too. And I have designated times where I allow myself the opportunity to not have to do anything, but I can just play online Destiny 2. So I'm probably playing it's a lot of 10-year-olds and don't really know it, but <laughs> it's a real self-care thing for me. And it's something that I don't have to, it's not productive, quote unquote. I'm not getting things done, but honestly, it, it's, it's love to myself. And that has meaning to me. And the third thing I do is walking. I make sure I get a walk in like five days out of seven days a week. And again, it's not like I'm training for a, you know, 10K. I make sure I take a good half hour, two hour long walk. And it's just to kind of get out and to think things through. And it's again, kind of a mental hygiene thing. And it's not to get like rock hard abs or any of that. It's really just for the pure self-care of it. And I don't get crazy about it. And I don't create some stats around it or, you know, check the iPhone around it. It's really just like, I need to get out outside and breathe in trees. And I hate this time of year and I still do it. And it's really helpful. It's kindness to myself and doing things 
out of kindness for myself has been the best gift I can do for my own mental well-being and my ability to really be present and caring to others. So that's why I do what I do. Things are going to flow in and out. You're going to kind of flow in and out of different routines or different things that you enjoy doing. And for me right now, I'm really enjoying meditating because the benefits of it are in the morning when I do it, you know, I sit there and I'm kind of um, digesting my food after breakfast. And I'll have a cup of coffee with breakfast. And if I hadn't stopped to meditate, then usually I'm gulping down a a second cup and then maybe getting like indigestion or Mm -hmm. kind of feel a little bloated or something. So mindful, just Mm -hmm. sitting down and chilling the F out for 15 minutes, just lets my body lets me check in with my body how's it doing is my right knee hurting a little bit like it does sometimes and maybe i you know needed to take a painkiller or when i'm out and about if i'm just observing people in a judgment free way which takes a lot of practice but just sort of observing the world observing when i'm walking pokey and seeing her enjoying frolicking and chasing a squirrel and seeing the trees and looking at architecture and all that stuff to me that's just very Mm -hmm. enjoyable so i get a sense of happiness and well-being and just feel good and yeah i think doing things not motivated by it being an optimization or because there's this perfection goal but just to connect to joy and silliness and fun those are my motivators and that's Mm -hmm. what i experience and then just unstructured time you know we're so used to filling all of our time and i try to give myself time where it's just like nothing specific going on and just see what where life takes you that day (laughs) i am all in on being here now and enjoying what is present you know what is happening in this moment so cool let's wrap this baby up for everyone out there thank you so much for going on this little journey with us here i would love to hear from you what what did you take away did you read this essay did you um read it all the way to the end (laughs) (laughs) anything you'd like to share you can share with me by emailing me at coach at heidibennett.com i'll put that in the show notes let me know if you'd like me to share on the show or keep it private you can go to my patreon and i'll have a link for that you don't have to support me on patreon to leave a comment so you can just leave a comment or you can support me on patreon and leave a comment that works too <laughs> on twitter i'm vibrant vizcast and on instagram it's vibrant visionaries so either way and molly where can people find you well i've got the t-shirt company that I'm developing right now. And so eventually that's going to be templegrooveclothing.com. And I'm also at littleredmark.com. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for just hanging out with me today and, and really, you know, taking the time to share your thoughts on this. It's been great. And I'm so glad that you're part of my tribe and my circle of compassionate creatives. I, it's been a real honor to be here. I'm really quite appreciative of your talent, not only as a coach, but also as a podcaster and uh, your your smooth vocal tones. And uh, just as a on a personal level, Heidi is a very adept coach. So if you need coaching, please hit Heidi up because she is an amazing listener and thoughtful and has some wonderful 
pop culture thoughts <laughs> connection to self-compassion that I've been uh, a very happy beneficiary of. And um, I can honestly say that I have a happier life from having regular conversations with Heidi. So I'm very happy to be here and excited to listen to further adventures and Heidi and podcasting. Oh, thank you so much, Molly. And yeah, I, I've loved working with you. Yeah, if anybody's interested in in working with me as a coach, you can uh, just look up HeidiBennett.com and check out my coaching stuff. So all right, that wraps up a very interesting episode of Vibrant Visionaries. <laughs> uh, you can find all the podcast episodes at VibrantVisionaries.com. And we'll see you next time. Ciao. All right, my friends, just a reminder that I'm going to be using hashtag burnoutbusters to continue this conversation on Twitter and Instagram. No pressure to participate, but if you're feeling moved to share, I would love to see what your idea of self-care is. 